0: Welcome, everybody, to Beauty IQ, the podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Fleming. And I am your co-host, Hannah First. How are we? Uh, oh, I'm good, actually. I'm really are good. you? Have, doing lots of puzzles, fully, I see. <laughs> I have fully recovered from COVID and I've mm-hmm. celebrated by staying home and doing mm. puzzles like I have COVID. So, Love that for you. Um, I did want to ask you, I am so sick of my long hair. Like, it's... Mm. Having long curly hair, it's like very stressful at times, and I think that in Thailand it was so easy because I just left it. It was, it got very matted and knotted, but it, like I just sort of left it. And now that mm-hmm. I'm back, it's like it's becoming quite unmanageable. So I actually am thinking of um, chopping it all off.
1: You know what? When- it's funny you say that on my yeah. like photo widget today, where it comes up with memories. Yeah. Was a photo of a photo of you with short hair and it looks so good.
0: I do. I think it looks I think it looks younger. Yeah, remember so, when you first cut it?
1: Yeah. I looked like a baby. It was a vibe. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and also the fact that I'd like to go back to my natural colour after having mm-hmm. like balayage for a few years now. I'd like to go back to like my my natural brown colour. And so getting mm-hmm. rid of all of that dyed hair would be good and also just so much easier to style like I just think adding it you can add a few curls in short hair in five minutes Mm -hmm. my hair at the moment takes me if I'm gonna properly like wash and style it's like at least an hour or two of work.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. It feels
0: like I'm a bit over it and I just mm-hmm. need something a bit easier.
1: So, so are you going to let Marie cut it? Yeah, we're trying to find
0: a date. She's at, at Fashion Week at the moment. We're okay. trying. To, I yeah. said, I'm
1: done, I'm ready. For, she's like, are you sure?
0: I'm like, yep, I'm sure. I'm done.
1: Yeah, I think once you make a decision, you're pretty definite on that decision. I am. I am. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And cutting your hair was one of the best decisions you ever made I know. back in the day. And,
0: and now it's back to being long and ratty, Joe. But it's
1: it's a lot healthier than it was. Oh, it oh. is, it is. But but it
0: is like it's. And also, I don't know if this is normal, but my hair just like molts.
1: like mm-hmm. a really annoying pet dog. I found that my hair is, um, I've got more hair fall now that I've gone off the pill, yeah. but my body hair is growing back quicker. <laughs> it's
0: <laughs> quite strange. <laughs> uh, I was a little bit worried because someone sent me a message that post-COVID they started losing a lot more hair and they had, really? have you heard of that? I've oh, not heard I of that. I hate as... how
1: people send DMs like that. Uh... <laughs> oh, I, and I hate
0: cause, it. Because I've been losing like so much hair and then I started freaking out because she showed me she had like a like a spot, like um where her hair had fallen out and I Mm. and then I was looking at my hair every shower and I was like this is a lot of hair but I think Mm. it's I think it's just more that you have a lot more hair there's a lot of hair and I think as it gets longer yeah it's it's just yeah so it's time to yeah it's time to chop it all off yay oh
1: maybe I'll Um, come here (laughs) a big transformation
0: (laughs) So, Joe, what's on today's episode?
1: Today we have Dr. Lucinda joining us to talk about uh, poo techniques and squatty potties. Uh, and we also have Dr. Cara McDonald joining us to talk about rosacea, one of my favorite topics that I always talk about, and our products we didn't know we needed. So Dr. Lucinda joins us again today. Welcome back to the podcast.
2: Hello, everyone. Good to be back. It's
1: always a pleasure (laughs) to have you here. Um, Now, of course, we're either talking about vaginas or periods or constipation or diarrhea when you're here. So... Uh, we we won't stray too far from that as usual. Uh, we're going to be talking about poo techniques, particularly the squatty potty. I want to get some clarification ah, on. I've always
0: wanted to hear about squatty potties because I want one. So,
1: oh, really? Well,
0: because I used to drive. So on Punt Road, I would I would drive home every single day, and the traffic was always bad. And I'd always stop in traffic outside the place that sells the squatty potties. Oh. And so I would just look at it for like as I was sitting in traffic every day and it was like the advertising really got deep into my brain and started to influence me because it looked, it just looked like something that that would work Uh, because I, and then I started to do a bit of research, but anyway, I I never got one. So this is going to be
1: interesting. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into it. Well, I wanted to start with, um, is there such a thing as pooing wrong? Like, should we be adhering to a particular technique when we poop?
2: Very, very good question. And the thing is, is that everyone's bodies is completely different. So everyone will poop slightly differently. That's, you know, the way in which they're supposed to poop to help them get it all out nicely. Um, And there's so many different things that impact on how we poop. You know, it's positioning, it's diet, activity, medications, overall health. Um, If we're using our phones and reading books and we're just not really concentrating on what we're doing there. And so like there's so many different things involved and we're all very unique, but angle, which is where the squatty potty comes into it um, can be helpful some for some people, especially if they're experiencing things like constipation, for example. And it's really funny actually, cause I actually hadn't heard of squatty potty, but when I w- looked at a picture of it, I was like, oh, that thing that like, you know, I've seen like, you know, at people's houses and stuff. Like I personally use toilet rolls. Um, under each foot. Under each foot. um, You can use high heels. You can use books. Ah. You can use whatever you want. But essentially what a Squatty Potty does, for those out there that don't know what it is, um, it's basically a footstool that people put their feet on in order to sort of help with the angle of which they're sitting and positioned on the loo to help the poop come out. Mm. So like why have you guys been looking into squatty potties have you been having issues?
0: <laughs> I'm not like I'm the opposite of Joe. Mm. So like I need like fiber, extra fiber. Like I don't particularly if I'm traveling, I end up any any mm. toilet anxiety and then yeah. I won't go. So that's I'm the opposite of Joe and Joe's <laughs> I wish
1: I had that problem.
0: <laughs> so, if we have a look at like a scale of from like diarrhea to constipation, I'm more on the constipation mm. side and Joe's more on the diarrhea ah, side. Interesting.
2: Yeah. And so, that's the thing like, no one has perfect poop. <laughs> And it's so distressing as well sometimes because if you don't poop well on that
0: day or whatever, it can really ruin your day. (laughs) Mm. Well, do you think diet? I just think diet is such that like for me that must be the one of the biggest issues.
2: Definitely is, and like so as you mentioned, fiber is a really really important part of helping us poop well, and so either bulking up the stools and helping sort of the bowel move better, so fiber's really good for that. But then sometimes, like, if you have things like diarrhoea, like, you know, that sort of stuff should really help um, if you have um, sort of more soluble fibres. So soluble fibre, because it's insoluble fibre and soluble fibre. So soluble fibre basically means that it dissolves in water, it helps it turn nice and gooey and spongy, and then basically slows the gut down and sort of, like, stops that sort of instant sort of diarrhoea sort of quick poo motion um, and that comes from things like fruit flesh, root vegetables, cooked grains, so those are the type of things that's we're sort of giving a go. But things that like, for example, can make you have sort of more diarrhea type stools are potentially things like dairy or caffeine, meats, spicy food, alcohol, Mm -hmm. grease, artificial (laughs) sweeteners. All
1: of the above. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: so like it's totally worth, um, like I love food diaries. I think they're really helpful. So you write your food and then you write what type Mm. of stool you have. So based on like Bristol stool charts really helpful. One is Mm -hmm. super constipated, which really no one should have. And then um, seven is sort of like really like watery diarrhea, basically. So we're sort of like trying to do that so you can figure out what causes your symptoms, if that makes sense?
1: Is it weird that my stools have changed since I came off the pill, Dr. Lucinda? I know this is more of a personal <laughs> consultation question, but <laughs> I might as well just get it out of the way.
2: No, I guess it's
1: not because hormones definitely have an
2: impact as well on your stools. So they affect the way, like how quickly things do move through your bowel also.
1: Mm, and it's really, okay.
2: and this is why I say like medications can be important in relation to um, like your stool health, as it were. Um, so mm. it's sort of now probably seeing what's normal for you without being on that medication, too.
0: Yeah. So different cultures have different toileting setups. Mm. And we've briefly discussed before when we spoke about bum guns, is there a superior way of emptying your bowel? So, <laughs> there's so much written about this. And um,
2: so basically like the angle is what differs with people's different toileting setups. And it's really funny because in Australia, I usually see this photograph of do not squat on the toilet where people have their feet on the mm-hmm, like, yeah. rim of the toilet seat. And I was thinking, like, yeah. whoa, people do that? Like, oh, my gosh. And, like, obviously, in some cultures they absolutely do, especially with the ones where the toilet is
0: on the ground itself. Mm. Well, they don't. That's like, I mean, you see those yes. a lot in Asia with the squat toilets, so they mm. don't have, there's no seat. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And the thing is that the westernised toilet probably isn't the best um, sort of design setup ah. for helping us achieve, like, a really good angle for our poo to come out. Because basically, if you have a look at the anatomy, you know you've got like obviously how your food's been digested. So small intestine, like where all the nutrients have taken up, and then it goes into the large intestine where the water is kind of taken out and forms into nice bulk stool. That gets into the rectum, which is just before the anus where the poo comes out now at that sort of rectum area we've got this muscle that basically helps keep it in so that we're not pooping all the time basically um and um so in order to help us poop because it's it's kind of like at a u angle in sort of in a way so you've got your rectum and then it has a kink in it um just to help us stop pooping so in order to help Mm. us sort of poo better if we raise our knees up just above our hips what happens is that it changes the ankle so it's sort of going straight down more like a
0: chute just fyi if everyone listening <laughs> dr lucinda is, Doing is showing us yeah the rectum yeah. With, with your hand. Yeah, so i'm assuming that's the rectum, your yeah. hand
2: this, hand's the rectum, rectum yeah. this uh well yeah well this uh, has yeah. anus almost in the way uh, and this time so sort of <laughs> guess, the rectum. Yeah, yeah. And then you're trying to like straighten <laughs> yeah, yeah. out the rectum by sort of lifting your knees up. To meet, to the, meet anus, the anus. So to the get anus that anus. lovely straight yeah. ankle there. Um, and then that also helps relax your your muscle that's basically holding it together like a kink in, you know, like if you've got a hose and you get a kink in it, that's kind of what yeah. this this lovely puborectalis mm. muscle does. What a great analogy. That's a great yeah, analogy. So I feel good.
1: like it's almost like a teapot, Dr. Lucinda. Like you've got to turn. Ter- <laughs> <laughs> You've got to turn the teapot so that they're uh, on the right angle for the yeah. tea to come out. Yep. Otherwise you get no tea. This is very true. Yeah. <laughs> so is this essentially how the Squatty Potty works then? Because those cultures that are squatting, I guess that's kind of setting us up to squat in a way that they would be doing that on their toilet.
2: Absolutely. And so it's sort of like, it really helps us get into a place where we can release this kink, relax um, the muscle and relax our pelvic floor so that we can actually let the poo go out better. And the thing is, is that like, it's not only just like putting knees up and like keeping like your feet just um, apart from like more, just slightly more than hip distance apart. You sort of lean forward a little bit, have your elbows resting or your forearms resting on your knees, and you're keeping like a straightish angle to your back and relaxing your head in a neutral position. And then you can also sort of breathe, Mm. like, if you're really suffering with constipation, you really don't want to be straining, like, because that can increase your risk of, like, hemorrhoids, prolapse, um, further constipation. And so you want to try and breathe and relax. And um, some physiotherapists, because physiotherapists are great at this, uh, teaching you pelvic floor stuff, and um, they sometimes say just to breathe in through your nose, so you sort of, like, really feeling it going into your belly. And then you can make a moo sound, um, which helps (laughs) to sort of like, if you do a moo sound, you can literally feel it in the sides of your lower belly. Um, And that's sort of helping you sort of like move things that way. And then after the moo, you do an oo sound, which helps it into the lower part of the belly. Now, obviously doing this in practice, you've got to be pretty confident if you've got other people Mm. in the home and stuff like that Mm -hmm. or in a public toilet and whatnot. Not Um, something you're going to be
1: doing on a first sleepover, (laughs) I imagine.
2: No, but some people can find that helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, and then that really just helps everything relax nice and proper. And yeah, and so whereas a traditional toilet, it really, you've got that kink going on your pelvic floor is, is still tense. Um, it's muscles tense. So it's going to be more challenging. So, yeah, all for squatting, personally.
1: <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. I guess the uh, what I want to gauge from this conversation is is the Squatty Potty approved by Dr. Lucinda?
2: <laughs> Look, um, anything to help people poo nicely and enjoy their pooing experience, I think is absolutely fine. <laughs> like I said, right. I personally go for toilet rolls, one on each foot, and that works well for me. So, and then I get to use a toilet roll then, obviously, afterwards. She's got needed. the toilet to roll be fair. as an example <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: But she's all, is that, is that who I love them. yes, it's they're so up. good. And they had this one,
2: like, thing where they were doing all these fun creative ones and i was like oh my god year
1: supply um well thank you dr lucinda for joining us again to talk all things poo we really appreciate it Pleasure. We do.
2: always happy to talk about poo it's all always good <laughs> <laughs>
1: So today uh, we're talking rosacea with Dr. Cara McDonald from Complete Skin Specialists. I'm surprised we've never done a full segment specifically on rosacea, at least not to mine and Matt's memory when we booked this in. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Cara. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Very nice to have you back. Um, So you and I have both experienced rosacea in our lifetime. So can we start by discussing what rosacea actually is and how you came about finding that you actually had it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So rosacea is a pretty common condition, particularly in fair-skinned people. And it's really a diagnosis that's represented by a persistent facial redness or erythema. And that can, in some people, progress to a sort of um, papular eruption as well, which is more like acne. But the other common kind of symptoms, I suppose we see in people are sensitivity of the skin. So burning, stinging, a dry feeling, a tight feeling, and particularly product sensitivity. So people often have trouble using um, active ingredients, especially on the face, but even just basic um, moisturizers, sunscreens, that sort of thing, people tend to be really sensitive to. And another really typical feature is flushing. So people with rosacea tend to, you know, complain about uh, being tomato red. You know, when they're anxious mm-hmm. or hot or stressed, all those things, out in the sun, out in the cold. So I suppose for me, I I just remember being red all the time. You know, when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I was always red. You know, my aunties and people used to always say, oh, you've got such lovely rosy cheeks <laughs> 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 all the time. And, you know, I just kind of got redder and redder. So by the time I finished school, I felt really self-conscious about it and started trying to cover it up. Um, mm. And I could kind of cover it with makeup on an average day. But as soon as I had something that triggered my my rosacea or my redness, like a glass of wine, or exercise, any of those things, I would just be, like, glowing red and burning hot as well. It's actually really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And so I never knew it was rosacea until I started studying dermatology. And then I was like, ah, that's what's wrong with me. (laughs) All makes sense now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, of course, you know, that was – before social media, before you could kind of easily look these things up, I suppose. Mm.
1: So it had—it
3: just never occurred to me that it, that there was a diagnosis and that it was treatable.
1: Mm. Yeah, when you mentioned the covering with makeup and then also the burning hot sensation. Have you ever tried to put makeup on when you're having like a flare up and it just melts off? Like you're <laughs> yeah. just trying to put it on, and it's just the foundation's just melting away. You can't get it to sit on those really hot areas. I know, so and annoying. The,
3: there's just nothing that kind of looks worse than kind of really thick makeup over really red mm. skin. Um, mm. You know, because basically you're not colour matching. <laughs> you kind mm. of got yeah. this <laughs> weird sort of glow underneath your, and you get this sort of almost, I think, bluish. Um, hue through your foundation and it just looks odd to be honest Mm
0: -hmm. and um sort of more on um rosacea uh, what are the different types of rosacea and are there different levels of severity
3: yeah so I mean it's really a, a big spectrum and there are many kind of different sort of slight variations and types and and certainly a huge range in severity. The way I like to explain rosacea to patients really because it it sort of gives them a mental image in their head and how it kind of differs to acne a bit is that you tend to have um, too many little blood vessels under the skin and they are too reactive as well. So they tend to be more dilated, more reactive, more flushy, and you might just have too many big blood vessels there that normally um, when you look at someone's skin, you know, the vessels right near the surface are so tiny that you don't see that redness through the surface. Whereas with rosacea, you can sort of see the the blood vessels basically through the surface and um, they're, they're dilated. But then they also become inflamed. And when we think of acne, that is inflammation around a pore or around a hair follicle, which is why you tend to see a blackhead or a comedone, a blockage in that pore whereas with rosacea the inflammation is not around a a pore so you don't see the kind of blocked pores or congestion as we would call it um, that you do in acne but otherwise it can look very much like pimples and it can even still have a pussy head on it if that blood vessel becomes so inflamed that you know we've got our neutrophils which are immune cells that basically create pus so much inflammation just under the surface of the skin that it still looks like a pussy pimple but it doesn't kind of pop out like a pimple. So it's quite different um, when you look at it under a microscope. But with rosacea, you've essentially got this too much redness and then the inflammation as well. And those combination of things are what's responsible for what we see on the skin, which is the redness, the flushing, and then the inflammation. And the inflammation causes the symptoms like the burning, the sensitivity, the the stinging and the pimples as well are like lumps of inflammation. So basically back to your actual question, which is what sort of types of rosacea are there? Well, it is a spectrum, but we start with um, erythematotelangiectatic rosacea. So erythematode means red, telangiectatic means telangiectasia or blood vessels. So that tends to be when you're just red and may see little visible blood vessels tend to flush, but you're not seeing the pimples yet. Then you've got papulopustular rosacea which as it sounds like is papules which are the little bumps and pustules which are the little pussy lumps and bumps that look like pimples then we have ocular rosacea so it can affect the blood vessels in the eye and cause kind of irritation redness burning stinging around the eyes so it's always important to to note that some people have eye symptoms as well and then the main other group is what we call phymatous rosacea. So phymatous rosacea is when you get a chronic swelling under the skin and the classic one is rhinophyma. And that's when you get this sort of swelling in the skin, particularly around the nose. And it tends to be more common in men and older men. And that's a sort of subset of rosacea as well. And then there are actually a few other, you know, minor types like granulomatous rosacea, which just describe a different type of inflammation. So, you know, there's a big spectrum and often people can progress, but most people won't progress to phymatous rosacea, which is what they, you know, often really worry about because it's, you know, cosmetically quite disfiguring, but they can get some sort of swelling and and edema in the skin. And then, you know, in terms of spectrum, you know, we can see people whose whole, Faces like inflamed and swollen and pussy lumps and bumps
1: through to people that are just kind of a bit red and flushy. So that that spectrum is huge. Mm. I think that's important to note as well when it comes to, I guess, comparing your skin to other people who I identify as having rosacea. Um, So I imagine that with that papillopostular rosacea, it could be easily confused with just acne and people are treating it as acne, which would then be. I guess counterintuitive.
3: Yeah, yeah. Often, often, uh, rosacea is often misdiagnosed as many things, but most commonly acne. Mm. And like I said, the I mean the the one little clue is that it's not around a pore. If you can tell that, mm-hmm. it can be tricky. But uh, the other clue with rosacea is that it tends to um, affect the convex surfaces on our face. So classic is the middle of the cheeks, the middle of the forehead, the nose, and sometimes the chin. And um, although they can obviously cross over with acne as well, it's a slightly different distribution usually in acne where we'll see jawline more and Mm -hmm. chin, T-zone, of course, but... uh, acne tends to be a little bit more t-zone whereas uh, rosacea tends to be more the the central cheeks affected having said that we can see both
1: mhm and what kinds of skin is rosacea most common in? And is there anything that can trigger rosacea occurring in someone or is it mostly hereditary? Because I'm Irish and apparently that's <laughs> a big red flag. on the pun. Yes. Well,
3: it's, um, it's most prevalent in Celtics, Celtic skin. So, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, there are various theories that it possibly was a was a protective mechanism against, you know, certain infections that thrived in low-light kind of countries, um, you know, hundreds of years ago. But, yes, it's more common in fair-skinned northern European descent individuals. So there's definitely genetic factors um, that predispose you to it. And then it seems to be that there's, there's these sort of triggers or switches so we can kind of switch it on. Um, due to something external, physical or biological. The exact cause of it is still not fully understood, but we know what some of the predisposing genetic factors are and the triggers. So the things that tend to trigger exacerbations of rosacea certainly are often physical factors in the environment, so extreme heat, uh, extreme cold, Uh, And then other physical factors are things that tend to vasodilate, so increase the diameter of your blood vessels and that's like exercise, um, alcohol, spicy foods, and then biological influences as well. So there's a lot of novel kind of research around the microbiome and, and that's kind of the bacteria on the skin, but also the bacteria in the gut and how other systemic or body inflammatory conditions uh, can trigger sort of a systemic inflammation or inflammation in the skin um, and how these gut and skin bacteria can play a role in inflammation. But it's super complicated and multifactorial. Mm. But some people can be really clear on their triggers and identify them. And UV light is one I, I didn't mention there, but is a, is a big trigger um, for rosacea. Mm. Um, what's the best way to determine a trigger? So, look, triggers are really variable and, you know, they. we do see common themes, but it is worth, if you've got rosacea or you think you've got rosacea, really looking at some of the things that are common triggers and then trying to keep a little bit of a diary almost to when your rosacea is worse and what you might have been doing especially with foods, um, because some people have food triggers that are common ones, like dairy is a common food trigger, and spicy foods, alcohol, um, hot drinks, which is more a physical thing. But not everyone will be triggered by the same foods. And if you can identify food triggers for yourself, it can be really helpful because you can avoid them. And you can easily look up Online, you know, rosacea diets or rosacea food triggers, and then keep a bit of a mental note of if you eat those things, are they a trigger for you? So that that's quite handy. UV light is a big trigger um, for rosacea, and that's probably you know like a that's physical... a trigger for lots
0: of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. UV is the devil. <laughs> stay yeah. away, stay away. Yeah. But um, and people who've had chronic UV exposure are more likely to have. Have rosacea as well so it's probably just like a, a low grade damage to the blood vessels and the collagen that increases the risk. The other things are, are those physical things I mentioned before which are really um, hot and cold, wind and then products. So active ingredients are a big one and there can be a crossover between rosacea and irritation but in rosacea we know that people have a inflamed and I suppose deficient skin barrier. So the problem is that you, if you've got rosacea or you're prone to rosacea, you probably just won't tolerate the same degree of active ingredients as other people. And especially if you've been told it's acne or something else, you might be trying to use irritating ingredients, uh, exfoliants, scrubs, all those things are really bad in rosacea. So beware of them and, and look out for you know, product sensitivity, even sensitivity to sunscreens and, and things like that can be a problem.
1: On the topical product side of things, what are the most common topical products you recommend for managing rosacea? So that might include like prescription stuff that you would recommend as well to your patients. It's a good question because i think the
3: first thing is really with rosacea to to think about needing to protect and calm the skin and so if you have that in mind the first thing to do is go for a really basic good skincare regime that's going to protect your skin barrier. So avoid any harsh cleansers or toners or stripping ingredients, exfoliants, don't do any physical scrubs and use Mm -hmm. like a cream-based fragrance-free cream cleanser. And then with that, you know, a a really nice basic moisturiser that's hydrating and uh, protective for your skin barrier that's kind of protection and of course uv protection (laughs) you know i'll never Mm -hmm. say anything without adding that in but it's really vital especially if uv is one of your flare-ups but it's it's most likely going to be a problem for anyone with rosacea if they're not using every single day uv protection so fragrance free i mentioned some people are very sensitive to fragrances in products so beware of them and just If your skin is sensitive and your rosacea is active, then avoid all other anti-ageing ingredients where you can and then add in things that are calming on the skin. So the vitamin Bs are very good in rosacea, panthenol and vitamin uh, B3 niacinamide. So they can be soothing and calming. And once you've got that really basic skincare regime, then you may need to treat the actual inflammation medically. So I always think of rosacea as two things like you need to treat the redness and the vessels and you need to treat the inflammation because essentially they're a vicious cycle if you've got inflammation it's going to drive more redness more dilated blood vessels more flushing and if you've got too many blood vessels and too big blood vessels that's going to they're going to get inflamed and drive more inflammation so you're in this kind of vicious cycle the whole time and where a lot of people go wrong is that they try and Fix the redness with um, things like laser, but they don't fix the inflammation. So as soon as they go away, the inflammation will drive their redness back again. And then other Mm -hmm. people, you know, seeing doctors or people that don't fully understand rosacea and they fix the inflammation. But as soon as they stop their treatment, medical treatment for that, the redness and underlying vessels are still there. So it just flares straight back up again. And so they're sort of in Mm. this chronic cycle. So I always try and get people to understand that if you can treat both simultaneously, then you're going to have a much better chance of being in remission or long-term kind of, you know, periods where it's not too much of a problem for you. So from the inflammation side, that's where we tend to use medical treatments and there are topical anti-inflammatories, which are actually often antibiotics and um, ivermectin, which is used to treat parasites, but it's in a topical cream for rosacea and it calms the inflammation and the reactivity. Um, Oral antibiotics are very um, good. Again, they actually are not treating bacteria they are treating inflammation so some antibiotics that we use in the skin down regulate inflammation in the skin which confuses people a little bit and then the blood vessel side of it or the redness that's when you really need to look at the right kind of lasers that's going to be your best option for rosacea and IPL which is intense pulse light or vascular specific vascular laser but you do need to be seen by someone that knows how to treat rosacea because it's quite uh, specific in terms of the settings we need
0: to use and and the power and so on. So you mentioned lasers um, and IPL. Can you talk to us a little bit more about in-clinic treatments? Like which ones do you recommend and can they resolve rosacea completely? Yeah. So
3: in-clinic, um, as I said, you know, we, we certainly go down the medical route for, for treatment Of the inflammation and then if you need it which most people with rosacea do you need to kind of try and shrink those blood vessels down and minimize them I wouldn't say it's a cure ever although we can certainly keep people clear often so for me I you know I've actually been having laser for my rosacea for 15 years now so when I started having vascular laser so we're looking there are lots of different brands there's no need to kind of go into that but you're looking for a laser that's really specific to redness and that Mm -hmm. are that is a group of sort of certain wavelengths that Mm. target redness only and they're the most effective lasers to use for rosacea. IPL, which is intense pulse light, which is broader spectrum of light rather than a laser, which is very specific. It can be helpful, but it doesn't tend to penetrate as deeply and be as powerful for some of those deeper red vessels. So most people that have had IPL will find that their redness recurs much faster than with vascular laser. Mm. So vascular laser, as I said, you know, I started about 15 years ago. It took kind of three to five treatments to really control my redness and flushing to a point where I felt that it was, you know, much better. And then I have I have at least one a year to maintain it. If not, I try mm-hmm. and have two. And what that means is that I just I've never gone back to being as red as I used to, even though I, I'm still a little bit prone to flare-ups and, and flushing. Uh, It really does, you know, keep it fairly well controlled in the majority of people. If you've got a phymatous rosacea, which is like when you've got the enlarged glands and and swelling in the skin, then we actually um, can use ablative lasers. So we actually kind of almost pare back and and remove that excess skin. Um, So that's a kind of quite different treatment. Mm.
1: So if someone suspects that they might have rosacea, what should they do? What's the next steps they should take? First thing is to try and, you know, clarify that
3: diagnosis because there are actually, you know, a lot of other things that can look a lot like rosacea and even cross over with rosacea. So, you know, things like eczema, even psoriasis sometimes, especially an irritant dermatitis. So if you've been overusing your active ingredients and so on, you can give yourself an irritant dermatitis that looks a lot like rosacea. There are a bunch of other kind of rarer dermatological conditions like, Cutaneous lupus, uh, which can give you a sort of butterfly red rash, which is an autoimmune disease, can look a lot like rosacea. A condition called keratosis pilaris, which a lot of people know of as the bumpy skin on your arms, but you can Mm. get a facial version that looks a lot like rosacea and gives you um, fixed erythema. And then there's kind of other induced rosacea. So there's a thing called steroid-induced rosacea. So if people have been using um, steroids on their face, they can get a rosacea-like condition, but they don't have true rosacea. They've got steroid-induced rosacea. And periorofficial dermatitis, sometimes people mistake as rosacea as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're not sure, get a diagnosis. And in most cases, seeing, you know, a really good skin therapist or a dermatologist or a GP that um, does a bit of skin is is the best way to do that. And then start on that treatment where the first thing would be get your basic skincare right, get, get a fragrance-free, gentle cleanser, gentle moisturiser and sun protection and do it every day. And some people will just notice that their skin improves just with that. If it's still inflamed, you need to go down the medical treatment path and if it's still red, you need to go down the laser path.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there's some really good information about uh, Rosacea on the Complete Skin Specialist Instagram if you want to go and check that out. Thank you so much for joining us again, Dr. Carter, to talk all things Rosacea. That's my pleasure. My PWD KWN today is uh, the Olaplex number no. nine Bond Protector Nourishing Hair Serum. Now, obviously, anything Olaplex does is generally going to be fairly good. Uh, I was surprised by the texture of this serum, though. I know it's a serum, so you kind of would think along the lines of a skincare serum, but I just thought hair serum, they're usually a bit creamier. More creamy. Yeah, yeah, but I squirted I exactly this out and same. I was like, oh, okay. It's actually a it's serum. It's like a hair gel, yeah. Yeah. Um, this I was very pleasantly surprised by. I actually completely swapped out all my other detangling products and put this through damp hair before I brushed it out and dried it. And it worked really well as a detangler. Like my brush just went straight through my hair. Um, Mind you, I'd already tried in the shower a Kerastase shampoo and conditioner, which I'm going to talk about in a future episode because it's not live yet. But very pleasantly surprised by this. Not only was it great for detangling, but when I dried my hair with my Dyson, once I would finished drying it, I was like, my hair's so much more smooth than it normally is. Like, Mm. especially on the ends, I find that my ends get a bit of frizz through them when I've like quickly bro- blow dried my hair Um and I, I go to bed and they just look a bit ratty in the morning. Um But this just, it just really worked a treat. So I also said that to Megan and I was like, oh, have you tried number nine yet? Because we both got it. And she's like, yeah, way less frizz on the ends. And I was like, yes, me too. Mm-hmm. And we have a very similar hair type, kind of that fine. She's got curlier hair um, or wavier hair than me, but kind of a similar thickness. So yeah, really was vibing with number nine. I
0: have also tried it and I mm-hmm. actually left my hair natural and it had, like, in terms of frizz, which you don't really have, it definitely yeah. reduced the amount of frizz that I had. Yeah. Because I used yeah. it and then I like scrunched up my curls and it definitely was. Definitely smooths
1: up. it out. Definitely
0: smooths it out. I am one of um, Olaplex's biggest fans. I love all their products.
1: I will say as well, with fine, flat hair like mine, using styling products before you dry your hair, you can find that there's a bit of residue left on your hair. Mm. And I really struggle with that when I'm trying new products and it really shits me. But with this, couldn't even feel that it was in my hair. So lightweight, mm. I like, could not detect that I had any product in it. So big tick from me. What's your product today, Hannah?
0: Um, So I actually, for once, I'm using the same product every single day. I love it. When you mm. like discover a product and you start using it yeah, every day. You thrash it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until it's, until it's empty. There's been like a few of those. Like I think the Murad Revitalix are, there's like mm. certain products that I, that I get a sample and I'm like, I love it and it's just in my routine until it's over. Um, and that doesn't happen that often because usually we're trying so many different products, and I'm on to mm. the next one, or I'm swapping st- other stuff in. Anyway, this is the Alpha H Generation Glow Daily Resurfacing Essence. So basically, it is like the baby sis of Alpha H um liquid gold. It's got a completely different texture. So it's got like a serum. It's funny because it's in the bottle and it's got like um, what would you call that? That's like a toner bottle. Yeah. But it comes out like a serum. Ah. Um, So it's pretty generous size for like a serum, 100 mils. and it's. But it's the reason I'm able to use it every day, and it does say that it's a a daily resurfacing essence, but it's got 5% AHA complex, and that's like a mix of not just glycolic acid, but I think it's also got like.
1: Is it lactic and mandelic in there? It's
0: got five AHAs, lactic, citric, malic, glycolic, and tartaric. okay yeah that's a mouthful um so it's not like the normal liquid gold which has got like quite a high concentration of glycolic acid that's Mm. why it's okay to use it every day but it's also um it's got a botanical blend including native snowflower, whatever that is um (laughs) antibacterial tasmanian blue gum and calming chamomile I love how they list them out as if like I know what those those things do anyway They basically, one's an antioxidant, one is antibacterial, and one soothes the skin. Um, and then it's also because of the texture. It's quite, it feels hydrating on the skin. Mm. Um, so the thing for me with glycolic acid is if I only use it once or twice a week, I sometimes forget when I used it. Yeah. So sometimes it is, and I think James Vivian says this. He says, like, it's kind of better to use something that your skin can tolerate every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and I found that because I'm using it every day along with some other stuff, I'm finding that I'm actually getting really good results with my skin at the moment because I'm being really glowy. Oh, thank you. I feel glowy. (laughs) Um Actually, I'm like, God, Skincare works. I haven't had yeah. any skin treatments. It's just been skin care. My skin, like all my melasmas and pigmentations faded like yeah. three weeks, three, four weeks. Um, so, yeah, not only does it even out skin tone and texture, it um, also boosts and support long term hydration of the skin.
1: And it's also um, suitable for sensitive skin as well. Mm-hmm. I think with those, um, the inclusion of the other AHAs, they are more hydrating as well. Uh, so they do have a hydrating effect on the skin, which I'm, I'm going to have to try this. I do have a sample of it. I just haven't used it because my face is peeling you'll quite,
0: off. I think you'll quite like the texture because rather than swiping over like a toner, it does have mm. like a more hydrating serum texture. Mm, okay. And so it doesn't really feel like, you know what I'm like. I go really, mm. over, like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can really irritate my skin. <laughs> Very heavy-handed. <laughs> and I'm trying to pull back on that and to, like, use something every day and get results yeah. over a longer period. So that's um, oh, good and it's working it's, for you daily. It is. And I think it's good that people with sensitive skin can use um, one of the Alpha H- AHA products and mm. it's suitable
1: for their skin. Amazing. Um, now, I know you're not in the office at the moment. Um, yes. You've just gotten back from Thailand. But we were in the office the other day. And I'd heard whispers about this brand joining us at a door, and I Mm -hmm. didn't really think anything of it because I'd never heard of them before. And then someone was in the office the other day getting these beautiful candles and candle holders out of a box and I was like, what brand is that? And they're like, oh, it's Black Blaze. So you have to go. I know you're a fan of Mason Balzac. I need you to go on the website now. Okay, I'm
0: looking now.
1: And go and look at Black Blaze. They have the nicest stuff. Black. All these beautiful, like textured, like ribbed Ooh, candles, candle nice. holders. It's just stunning. Like if you have a really aesthetic home, or you want to yeah. have a really stylish office or desk, it's just you know those like um semicircle. <laughs> how, do, how do I explain? It? Semicircle candles, like it's like wavy a- candles. I don't even know yeah. how to. They're just. Very on trend right now.
0: Oh, it's called a curl,
1: curl candle. Oh. So it's
0: curled around. Okay. They've got really nice colours as well. So they've got purple,
1: green, pink. So I felt like they were right up your alley. I'm definitely going to be adding them to my staff order because I want them for my new house.
0: Oh, the new house. The new house. Yeah.
1: Oh, well, I can't wait to see it. You I'll, I'll share warming? some um, home styling stuff on my okay. Instagram, but I'll have you over for a housewarming <laughs> cocktail. How does Yay, that sound? Yay, that sounds good. Is <laughs> um, um, we'll, there anything else? For, I don't oh, think that's so. It?
0: Mm, no, okay. think that's All right. it. I
1: got it. All right, guys. Yeah. We'll see you later. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. It helps other people to discover us. And also, we really want to know what you thought about this podcast. So if you can leave us a review, that would be much appreciated.